You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to another episode of Half Hour with Jeff and Richie, the podcast where we dig deep into the heart of Broadway. This week we're discussing the new Broadway play, The Shark is Broken. Want to know what happens between the cast of Jaws and the cameras weren't rolling? Well, let's find out in this half-hour discussion. I'm Richie, a theater director and producer. And I'm Jeff, a music industry producer and manager. Let's dive into The Shark is Broken on Broadway. Half hour. Welcome, everyone, to the show. Uh, Before we get started, we always like to let our listeners know that there will be spoilers about the show in this episode. So if you want to see the show first, that's okay. Go check it out and then come back and listen to this episode. That being said, Richie, can you give us a quick one, two, three on The Shark is Broken? I can, because, you know, I like to give my little quick, uh, you know, knowledge of the show. (laughs) So at the Golden Theater on Broadway in New York City is where The Shark is Broken is being presented as a new Broadway play written by Ian Shaw and Joseph Nixon. It stars Alex Brightman, Colin Donnell, and Ian Shaw, and it's directed by Guy Masterson. Uh, not to be confused with Sky Masterson. So for those theater people. <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> oh, Lord. Sky Masterson is a character from a very famous Broadway Golden Age musical. I am wonder, I, I would ask Guy if he ever gets the, oh, you're related to Sky? Because Sky Masterson's the lead of Guys and Dolls. Come on. That's the leading character. Fun fact, I've never seen Guys and Dolls. Oh, the Marlon Brando, Frank Sinatra film? Oh, I don't know what to tell you. We're gonna watch. We're putting it on the list, Jeff, to watch it. It's a classic film, a great show. It's an amazing London revival right now, which I hope comes to Broadway soon. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Guy Masterson <laughs> directed The Shark Is Broken, <laughs> not Sky Masterson. Not Sky Masterson. Okay, so Shark Is Broken. <laughs> Let's just start with some overall plot and thoughts before I, I'm dying to know what you think of this, Jeff. I know we talked a little bit about this, but just for those of you who don't know, this is a play about what it was like filming the famous film Jaws, the three mm-hmm. characters on the boat. A lot of you know that it took very long to film that movie. There was a lot of breakdowns of the shark as well as other issues. And this play kind of dives into that. And just for those of you who don't know, Ian Shaw, who wrote this and stars in it, is the son of Robert Shaw, who mm. is the actor from the film. So this is his son, telling the story of his father and playing his father, which I will say is maybe the coolest part of this whole thing. If I had to name like the one thing I think is totally like awesome about this is that. Well, there's times up there that you're watching him and you're like, Oh, I yeah. feel like it's him. Because we we just watched the movie Jaws like right before we saw this because we've seen bits and pieces and as kids you've kind of seen it. But to sit as an adult and, sit, and watch it from start to finish yes. was cool to kind of refresh our memory a little bit. But mm-hmm. So that's just some knowledge on that. Jeff, what are your thoughts overall on this, the plot of this and, and what you thought of this piece? Well, one thing I did want to read that – and this is what they give you in the playbill, but from the author – 
The first line in here, it says, In 2017, I read a drinking diary that my father kept, which I found painful and very brave. So right then and there, getting into the plot of this show, we clearly know that this is his take on what it was like for his father filming Jaws. And you see it very heavily in this show about his drinking problem. And I'm wondering how much of that drinking diary is truthful to what's happening in this show. So I thought it was like kind of like a cool concept here to say, wow, this is what my father was going through in this show and to learn in the filming process of this movie and to learn a little bit more about like, okay, they were on that boat many times because the shark kept breaking. Hmm. So, and then what was the dialogue happening between the three actors when the shark broke down? And we learn a lot more about his father's life and that he comes from, he's Irish, he has 10 children, he's, you know, in film, he struggles with alcohol. And it kind of, it it kind of learns like that his father, uh, Robert Shaw's father, also had a drinking problem and how it kind of trickled down into him. And I'm curious, you know, with someone like Ian, is this something that he deals with as well? Or is this something that he kind of wants to bring to light and say, like, you know, this is what was happening to him in the industry? So it was just interesting in that way. I also found that it was interesting that they were talking about drinking on the set of a film. I really yeah. don't think that would happen today. Um Right? No, I don't, I don't know. So. I don't know enough about film where people are like drinking on the set. I feel like whenever there's drinking scenes in movies and TV, they're fake drinking. Like in a play, I'm sure it's like water or whatever. Like, so that's why I don't know. Like, I don't know for well, I think there was supposed 50 to be years a, ago. Right. I think there was also supposed to be like a little bit of a separation between what was real alcohol versus what wasn't real alcohol. Yeah, yeah. Like, there was obviously drinking scenes that were happening in Jaws, but he kept hiding the alcohol throughout this book. Right, right. And so, like, I, I do think that I'm going to assume the majority of this play was rooted in reality, that a lot of this was happening, and that mm-hmm. these diaries and the stories that were passed on to him were happening here, right? Um Alex Brightman plays Richard Dreyfuss's character, who Richard Dreyfuss is still living, mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg is still living. The other two characters, the actors from the film are not. And so there was moments where I was like, oh, there was a lot of like, let's highlight Alex Brightman's character's struggles a little bit. There was a lot going on there with that. Um, I thought Colin Donnell's character kind of faded into the background for me at times. I didn't feel like it was equal playing field for these three actors and these three characters. And that's fine. Maybe that's just how it was on on the boat. Uh, I will say something else. I'm, And I think I mentioned this too when we were leaving the theater too. I said, if this wasn't Ian Shaw and this was – a random person that said, I think I want to tell the story of what it was like about Jaws. I think people would be like, "Mm, why? So I think the selling point here is Ian Shaw. I would probably have been upset if Ian was out that day. Like, do you Mm. understand what I'm saying? Like, I feel like this was just a Hollywood history moment to tell a story of a famous film and a famous person from the lens of the sun. That's the pitch sell to me that I'm sure these 20 producers probably (laughs) bought onto, too. That's what I think is the highlight of this. Well, if that makes sense. Yes. I feel like when I first heard about this coming to Broadway and I said, wow, 
Let's learn more about what happened between these three characters or these three actors when the camera stopped rolling because the shark kept breaking down. Part of me was like, wow, that's cool. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is step one. But step two, I was like, is there some sort of history or something that we don't know about between these three actors that there's a reason for this play to be on Broadway? Like, are we going to learn something more about them? And I just felt like it didn't go there. I didn't feel like there was maybe, it almost feel like we were pulling a little too hard. Like with Colin Donald's character, did, did he have to get into a speedo and lay on the boat? Cause he liked to tan. Did he really do that? I don't know. Like Alex Brightman had that breakdown moment, like the complete breakdown. I was like, this to me seems a little too dramatic. Like, I don't really believe that Richard Dreyfuss had major screaming, crying breakdowns. Maybe he did. I don't know. Like, and if he did, okay. But there was just moments where I was like, mm, I'm kind of taking a step back here. I don't know if I believe every single thing that is being said here. And then to your point, Jeff, wouldn't it have been more interesting if we brought in a little bit more production value? Meaning, why wasn't Steven Spielberg played here? What a major person to have been brought and told. Like, we had some voiceovers. Or where was, like, the mechanical – the crew – Maybe you just show some crew people like on the boat fixing things while they're in between. It's hard for me to believe that these three guys are sitting on a boat and no one's to be found. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like they felt like they were, and I don't know, like they just bring, bring a little bit more production element into it. That didn't bother me as much of not having crew. And I think that was supposed to be like the suspension of disbelief there, like kind of come up with that on your own. But I did have a problem with the structure of the play and how, we weren't really brought into the play at a certain time. Like, how great would it have been for it to start with, like, okay, and we're day one on the boat, and we're going to start filming here. And the first moment that the shark actually breaks down. You know, I don't think there was enough theatric moments happening first. Like, where was, like, the acting performances? And then it's like, okay, we're in the scene, and now this is the dialogue that happened in between day one of shooting and day two, or day three and day five, and day seven and day nine. You know, I think it was just missing that. We don't know where we came in to the filming process of the show. So, like, where were these actors already? Um, Are they on week four? Are they on week five? And I know that they said it a few times, but it was just, like, said in passing. So it didn't really work that way. But I also just think, you know, they end the show with him doing his monologue, of uh, his father's monologue, which is a pretty big deal from the movie. And that was, like, the only real, like, cut, action cut, moment that happened but where was that earlier on and that was the best part of the show for me yeah was the last scene i'm i will tell you something it's a 95 minute show and for the first 90 of the 95 minutes i'm like okay but i was really captivated for those last five minutes i was like time stood still for me because i was like oh wow this is really cool. And yeah. I just wish that I could have said more about that other than five minutes of the piece. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, that you would swear that was his father. And yeah. if you really love his father and you really love this movie, you're going to grip onto your seat during those last five minutes. Because you're like, this is like amazing. Yeah. And that but- was the coolest part for me. Other than that, I don't know. It, it didn't build up to it. It didn't do much for me other than those last five minutes. Yeah. And I think there needed to be a little bit more movie inspiration in this play. 
Don't you agree? Yeah, and, and that kind of goes a little bit into some of the the movie and the design. But yeah, I mean, when you're talking about this movie, you know, it's not just a horror movie. It is right. a commentary on political climate, on government, on people's well-being, community, uh, safety. Which is funny because they even ask in the play. He's like, they're, when they're sitting there, they're like, who's this for? And like, yeah. they all have three very different responses. And I it's so funny. Moment. It's so funny when he's like, the movie's about a shark. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. it. But like, the shark has so much meaning in the world today. You know, are you a, a money shark? Are you a political shark? Where does the shark come in to take over and attack? You know, it. there is meaning behind that, which is cool. I wish we kind of went a little bit more into that. Also, is it a little bit like he's talking about, okay, they're just actors playing a part and they don't really care too much about um, the the movie that they're filming. You know, like taking that back and forth like okay like colin uh donald's um uh, character he's just like i just want to get paid right. oh here's what's going on in the world today i want to tan you know i think and then it, um what is it richard dreyfus that's alex brightman's character, alex brightman yeah. he's so infatuated about being famous and getting that landing role you know it's it's fun to kind of watch that but it's nice to take i mean when you have a very famous film and you're doing a play about it, and it's not, it's whether it's an adaptation or an adaptation or a commentary piece like this is, you're going to have people coming to the show because people – I do you know how many people told me I'm going to see Jaws on Broadway? I've had three people tell me I'm going to see Jaws on Broadway. And I was like, actually, Jaws is not on Broadway. It's a play about the making of Jaws. And actually, the response is, wait – Oh, that's even better. Like when they find out what it's actually about, they're like, oh, that's so cool. So then I'm like, oh, and here's another thing I'll say. And this kind of goes a little bit into some of the creative design of the show. If if we went to see Phantom of the Opera and the whole time they talk about a chandelier and there's no chandelier, I would be like, mm, why do they keep talking about the chandelier? There's no chandelier. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you know, do you know what I'm about to say? If the play is called The Shark is Broken. And it's constantly about the – it's a little bit of waiting for Gatto or waiting for Godot. Like they're, they don't know where – who Gatto is or what they're waiting for, but they're there waiting. It's kind of a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. Like for example, when you see Doll's House, the revival that we just saw a few months ago, and you're like, there's no set. There's no children. But you didn't need it because the dialogue spoke for itself. I unfortunately can't sit here and say, well, you didn't need the shark because the dialogue spoke for itself because there is a part of me that's sitting here right now that's like – I needed the shark. <laughs> I didn't need. I, needed, I, I think I needed the shark. I'll I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to try to be like, where is the shark? But like, I kind of needed the shark. No, that's what I'm talking about, though. We needed the moments of them acting out a scene, the shark breaking, and then them having their dialogue in between them. They're just, it was missing that theatrical part to this show. And the projections were amazing and i really when they would rock on the boat once in a while i was like oh like i thought it was actually designed pretty well from a from a lighting and projection standpoint the set was fine i don't know i I mean maybe they didn't want to put a lot of money and didn't have the boat move or spin i would have liked the boat to maybe have moved the other way at some point maybe they there were other parts of the boat that were barely used and only used for entrance and exit and so part of me looks at that and says from a director and a scenic designer standpoint I don't know. It's hard. You have a table and a bench well, around a table, and, and most of the scenes are taking place at a table. Well, yeah. let's go into uh, a little bit of the design and yeah. also the direction at yeah. the same time here. Because yeah. 
how great would it have been in scene changes that you saw them like lights are dim it's separating between the play's dialogue and the scene changes but they're acting out a portion from that like maybe they're standing on the bow of the boat and the shark is coming in and then it's like breakdown okay and then you see them go back inside and it's like Okay, we're on to another pause. Does that make well, sense? Yes, and when I look, it's hard for me to see Parade and Here Lies Love and the actual projection use of photos and audio from the actual time we're talking about and then have something like this not use any – until the end, we're like walking out and the usher's like, let's go, thank you for coming. And I'm like, I, I kind of want to stand here and look at some of these – in the at the bows, they had actual behind the scenes photos of this movie, and I I was like, oh my god, I've never seen some of these, and I want to kind of look. And it, they were like, thank you for coming, and I'm like, wait, why didn't you use the scene changes of actual audio, mm. Steven Spielberg, actual John Williams score? That's, I like that. I don't think that score that they used in between the scenes was actual John Williams score. In the beginning, they used the Jaws theme, but what did I say when we were watching the Jaws movie a few days ago? I was like, oh, I forget how amazing John Williams score is here. In general, John Williams' scores are amazing, but but he scored that film so beautifully. Maybe they couldn't get the rights to some of audio and video. I understand that. But like, if it's Ian Shaw and there's actual uh, – one of the yellow buoys from the film is actually in the set and you're using actual this. And I, do you notice I keep saying the word actual? Actual this, real that, actual this. But then the scene changes. We're watching them in the dark. Change scene. I'm like – Give us some distraction. Give us some audio, some visual, some video of the actual film. That's what this whole audience is here for. I do you understand what I'm saying? They're, this is these are fans. <laughs> brewing here. On, brewing on that a little bit. I do think there has to be footage out there. There has to be audio yeah, out there. Of course, there this wasn't a hundred years ago. Using in there, and that actually should be what's the scene change like lead in. So. There's actual foot video and audio footage from The Wizard of Oz. Come right. on. there's There's got to be behind the scenes audio of this. Come on. Right? Right. And I, I just do... think that was a missed opportunity. That was just a missed opportunity for me. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I don't really think it was fully directed. Perfect. Right. I just think there were directorial moments that were missing. You have a, you have a room of hundreds of huge fans of this show. And – We'll get to that towards the end of like who this show is for and what this audience is taking of this as. But I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. That would have, that was a missed opportunity for me from a, yeah. from a creative standpoint. Right. Everything you was know? kind of just very center on the boat. You know, they they, they, they costumed and wig designed that really well though. You yeah. would have thought the three of them were the three of them. I I will say that. That was a where, great design. Where do you want to go here on cast and standout performances? Well, you know, let's talk about the three of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, Let's we'll, go. Let's say it. Alex Brightman kind of is a scene stealer, show stealer. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's yeah. amazing. I've always liked what he's done. Uh, he's great. I I, I enjoyed yeah. it. At times, it verged on a little bit too much for me. A yeah. little too much screaming. A little too much physicality. A little bit of pulling focus. Just a few times, which totally makes sense for School of Rock and Beetlejuice. I get it. I thought it could have been sub- more subdued just a little bit here. But he is really, really great in the role. Yeah. And I really enjoyed him. He got a lot of laughs. He gets the comedic timing right. He also kind of does know how to build a story, you know, from starting. He didn't start at a 100. He started at like a 75, but he w- was able to build himself to a 100. 
you know, once you get to the 100, though, kind of too early in the show, sometimes that how do you go back down, which, you know, possibly did happen with him. I do think Ian Shaw was great portraying his father in that way. Um, he, those two are definitely the best characters to be playing. And, Ian, <laughs> yeah. and Ian's just a, a spitting image of his father. Yeah. And like you would swear was him. And I thought the Alex and Ian scenes were fantastic. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Colin Donnell playing, um, oh God, I'm forgetting the name now. Colin Donnell played, oh, let me look, I have the playbill. Roy Schneider. Roy Schneider. Yes, there we go. Um, that character, I mean, let's. Schneider. Roy Schneider, Schneider. yeah. Yep. That character in the movie is kind of just. He's there, he's, he's the very cop. S- yeah. You kind of wish, like, he was a different person in real life. Like, he was, like, over the top or, like, wild. And, you know, it seemed like he's just playing himself. You know, maybe that's something interesting to be looking at, too. Like, oh, okay, here's this actor, and he's just playing himself in a movie. Which was, like, fine. I it don't know. It was just fine. He was there. He did the part. The part was pretty simple in the film. It's pretty simple here. Someone has to play it. Colin's great. I saw um, someone else say, like, the role was written so boring. Mm. Well, to me, there was, like, part of me envisions the creative to me, like, what do we do with this character? Oh, he likes to tan. Oh, he has a great body. Let's just have him take his clothes off and wear a Speedo. and lay-. That seemed gimmicky to me. That seemed forced to me. That did, was completely, in my opinion, unnecessary. Yeah. Like, you understand what I'm saying? And like, it also went on, like, a minute too long. Yeah, right. And and there was a part of me that's like, I actually loved his references to the Nixon presidency and him reading the newspaper. And that was kind of really cool, like hearing what he thought about what was going on in the world, reading the newspaper. Because, of course, what were people doing at the time before phones and internet? Reading the newspaper. What was yeah. going on in the world when you're on a break from work? So, but And it was yeah. great to tie that in. You know, that was some nostalgic moments that were happening there. I just wish there were more nostalgic moments from the actual movie that were kind of brought into the writing of this. It almost seemed like they have the bones for a really good script and a really great idea, because how often do we want to know what's happening when the actors are not filming? Like, what's happening between Ariana Grande and Cynthia Arrivo right now when they're not filming? Yeah. Like, it? like, they're yeah. sitting... Are they sitting with each other? Are they talking to each other? Do they like each other? You know, all of those kinds of things... That's what people want to see. So with this, it's like these three guys, they're on a boat for most of the movie. They're talking with each other. What is happening off camera? And if this is what really happened off camera, cool. If it if there was more that happened off camera, we wanted to see it. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go more in depth. And I just kind of felt like it needed someone to kind of come in and add to it. Mm-hmm, fabricate mm-hmm. it a little bit more and like make it a little bit more wild and interesting. We don't know what was actually said. I mean, Richard Dreyfus knows what was said, but you know, and how, what was his involvement in this writing? You know, is that why there's so much happening with him? Because there's so much that he can remember and kind of contribute to this show. You know, these are questions to Ian Shaw. Where was the development of this? Was it just from his point of view? What he's seeing from his father's point of view? And like, who could come in and kind of help really take this to the next level? And it's hard for me to believe, the play lent it to believe that Steven said, um, Steven Spielberg was nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm. Like 
off on another boat. I'm sure he was off on fixing something. Of course, directors get pulled in a million directions, but like it led me to believe, I don't know if this is true or not. And I hate to say this if this is true, but it's not true, but it led me to believe that there was no actor relationship with Steven Spielberg. And that maybe. they had to do that. And maybe. I don't know. If that was the point that Steven was over here and the actors were over there, then you got that point across because that was sad then. Because this yeah. is a huge director at the time, a new director, directing these three famous people. And so yeah. I don't And that's why some of the, it does lead into what we were just talking about. Some of the direction of this seems a little odd to me. Like it just seemed a little rushed and a little forced. And maybe we could have just kind of went a little more theatrical if we're going to go commercial Broadway. Right. You know? And it kind of leads to this question, too, on who this is for, what our overall thoughts are. So bringing this to who this is for, this is definitely for a movie buff, and this is definitely for a Jaws fan. But I wonder if there's going to be a critique from both of those two groups of people, because if I was a diehard fan, I would want, and bring it back to this word, of nostalgic moments in the show. Props are such a huge thing. And the movie, there's such a focus. So when you're telling me that there's uh, a barrel from the boat in the the, the um, set and the creative design, I I know you saw it, but I couldn't find it. It was like I, half hidden over to the side, never touched, never acknowledged, and in the dark half the time. Right. But like, those sorry. barrels, those barrels are such well, an like, important iconic. part. Yeah, that's right. all where they were trying to catch the shark for 45 minutes. Like, yeah, right. that's so iconic. Important part there, it has to be. The hook that when they're getting the job, um, when they're trying to capture him. The grates for making the shark like, tank some thing. Of that could have, right. Where were some of those, like, big things? They're such important parts. His glasses, the second pair of glasses that his wife tells him, I oh, put yeah. a second pair of glasses right. in your sock. The, the even the the tank that blows up jaws and like you're not supposed to touch the tank well like where's the funny nod to like oh that tank's over there and there's nothing in it yeah you know that kind of moment from a jaws fan or a movie buff fan those are things that people probably but, definitely want and i will say this too the audience i i'll never completely downplay a show that is selling well yeah. If a show is selling well, who am I to be like, this shouldn't be here because we need new works and we need theaters full of people and we need theaters full of people because uh, maybe don't see Broadway all the time because how many of those people maybe never see Broadway? Because I got the vibe that this was a bridge and tunnel tourist kind of crowd. Everyone's wearing, literally wearing Jaws paraphernalia on their t-shirts, hats. They're, they're, they're cackling, laughing at the 70s. There's a lot of 70s movies jokes. Hilarious. And I'm like, wow, I don't know a lot about 70s movies. Like, okay. And to me, how many of those people even see like, can I go, let's go see another show next week yeah. or next month. So, so I'll never sit here and say, Arr! like, cause I thought there were some redeeming moments of it. I didn't completely hate it, but I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, this audience is selling and, and it's not a typical theater crowd. This is not the crowd that's going to see a downtown off Broadway revival. Right, which is something that, or something, you know what I mean? But like, this is something that we talk about all the time. There is something for everyone on Broadway. And sometimes you just have to find that audience. Luckily, this show has a built in audience already. There are <laughs> many fans out there that love Jaws. So this show is really for them. They're the people that need to talk more about it, though, too, because this is not going to be the everyday Broadway um, theater goer show. They're going to probably leave it. They're not going to talk about it. They're not going to know who to talk about it with, you know, and, but there are people out there that are going to love this. 
sure. and think that it's cool and think that it's creative. And that's fine. Yeah. You know? And then there's going to be some people, maybe theater people, who are like, why this? Why yeah. do I want to see this? And and I, I look at it like, well, I'd learn something new. And that's why it kind of brings it full circle to what I was saying. Ian Shaw is this moment for me. Yeah. I'm seeing this because I want to see his perspective of this. And I want to hear from him and I want to see him and I want to hear the writing. And I, and like I said, that last five minutes is pretty amazing. So yeah. Well, I did want to learn something. I think we learned some things. I, I wanted more from it. Um, but I'm fine with it. You know, it yeah. sits middle of the road for me. It does for me too. And that's why I've had a few people say, oh, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Should I see it? I'm like, yeah, if you really love this movie, go. Like, yeah. go. Go buy a ticket. Support my theater. I also want theater. them to see it because I want to talk more in depth yeah. about it because I want to be enlightened about the show a little bit more. I want to talk to Ian Show about the show and see why – he thought that this was a good idea, you know, and what's the real meaning behind it? Is it just to kind of tell his father's story or is there like, no, we're, we're showing what it was like for actors to be on set at that time. We're showing what it's like for, you know, actors to be involved in development because it, you know, his monologue was an important part, which is a great way to kind of wrap this up too, but he edited the monologue to what mm. he thought it should be. And that's what they ended up going with. Yeah. Yeah. So it was such a great way to end in that. Yeah. Because he has talent. He had something there. You know. So. It's a great moment in the film. There's so many great moments in the film, but yeah, very, right. very cool stuff. So Oh my gosh, we are out of time. That out flew time. by. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, that does wrap up our discussion for this episode. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the shark is broken on Broadway. No pun intended there. <laughs> and don't forget, we want to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us on Instagram and TikTok at Half Hour Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on The Shark is Broken and any other Broadway shows you'd like us to discuss. And if you enjoyed our show, please leave us a review. Your feedback helps us bring more Broadway to you. Remember, you can listen to our past episodes and stay tuned for some upcoming ones. We have some few more summer shows to talk about as well as some fun interviews coming up that we can't quite say yet, but they're coming. <laughs> we have some cool people going to guest appear on our podcast. Something's coming. Something's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, until next time, I'm Jeff. And I'm Richie saying ta-ta. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.